for a great company of people and of women which also bewailed and lamented him. But Jesus, turning unto them, said, Daughters of Jerusalem, weep not for me, but weep for yourselves and for your children. For behold, the days are coming in the which they shall say, Blessed are the barren, and the wombs that never bear, and the paps which never gave suck. Then shall they begin to say to the mountains, Fall on us, and to the hills cover us. For if they do these things in a green tree, what shall be done in the dry? And there were also two other malefactors led with him to be put to death. And when they were come to the place which is called Calvary, there they crucified him and the malefactors, one on the right hand, the other on the left. Then said Jesus, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And they parted his raiment and cast lots. And the people stood beholding, and the rulers also with them derided him, saying, He saved others. Let him save himself if he be Christ, the chosen of God. And the soldiers also mocked him, coming to him and offering him vinegar, and saying, If thou be the king of the Jews, save thyself. And a superscription also was written over him in letters of Greek and Latin and Hebrew, this is the king of the Jews. And one of the male factors which were hanged railed on him, saying, Thou be Christ, save thyself and us. But the other answering rebuked him, saying, Dost not thou fear God, seeing thou art in the same condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we receive the due reward of our deeds. But this man hath done nothing amiss. And he said unto Jesus, Lord, Remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. And Jesus said unto him, Verily I say unto thee, Today shalt thou be with me in paradise. And it was about the sixth hour, and there was a darkness over all the earth until the ninth hour. And the sun was darkened, and the veil of the temple was rent in the midst. And when Jesus had cried with a loud voice, he said, Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. And having said thus, he gave up the ghost. Now when the centurion saw what was done, he glorified God, saying, Certainly this was a righteous man. Father, thank you once again for preserving for us this account of that, that awful day of the crucifixion of our Savior. And Lord, while it's a, an awful thing to read about it and to think about the suffering that our Savior had to do, we thank you that he was willing to do it. We know that he had to go to that cross to be our Savior, to pay for our sins. Now we pray as we, as we look to your word this morning, I pray that you would speak to hearts. Help us, those of us who are believers, to appreciate that much more what Christ did for us on that cross at Calvary. To, to have a, a reckoning of the suffering he had to go through so that we could be saved. And then I pray for any that are listening to to the message this morning, viewing it on YouTube or Facebook, Lord, that they'd come to Christ and know Christ and, and be saved and be born again. We ask you now to bless our time together in your word. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Welcome to our morning service here at First Baptist Church. For those of you who don't know me, I'm the pastor, Pastor Gilmore. 
We're broadcasting our services on YouTube, as we always do. The difference today is that there are only a handful of people present due to the COVID-19 virus. I want to invite you to tune in on Wednesday evening at 7 o'clock for our midweek service. And you know, we're living in very troubled days. Our country is sailing in uncharted waters. We're in the midst of a very serious crisis. I want to encourage you to be earnest in prayer for our country and for our leaders in this very, very difficult hour. I titled the message that I'm going to bring this morning, No Greater Love. No Greater Love. Today begins what is often referred to as the Passion of Christ or the Passion Week in Christian circles. This is the final week of Jesus' public ministry. Today, the Sunday before Christ's crucifixion, is known as Palm Sunday. It's on this day, the Bible tells us, that Jesus rode into the city of Jerusalem on the back of a donkey and was welcomed by the cheers of those watching. As he entered the city, the Bible tells us, the crowd cried Hosanna and threw palm branches on the path before him. In the next few days, Jesus did many miracles, publicly revealing himself as to be the true Son of God, the Messiah. However, the Pharisees opposed him and kind of convinced the people that he was an imposter. And the Bible tells us about his betrayal by Judas Iscariot, his subsequent arrest by the Roman soldiers, the mock trials they put him through, the abuse he suffered at the hands of the soldiers, and finally, his crucifixion. The cross, that is where Jesus would die. Nailed there by ungodly men, nailed there as an innocent man, nailed there between two common criminals. This week, the cross will be a very visible object in the hearts and the eyes of the world. What happened there some 2,000 years ago will in many ways be rehearsed and remembered. For many, it will uh, it will be just an icon of Easter. The cross will just be a decoration, if you will. For others, it will be a reminder of Christ and what he did there. But it will not last long. It will, it will disappear. The, the thoughts of the cross and the emphasis of the cross will soon be forgotten as the revelry of the holiday passes. But to the faithful... Those who know and love Christ, the cross will always be an undeniable symbol of his great love for us. It was his love that put him there, his love for each of us. Here then in the cross, we see the undeniable evidence of Christ's love for us demonstrated. I want you to notice with me this morning how the undeniable evidence of Christ's love for us is demonstrated by his cross. First of all, we, we note that Christ went to the cross obediently. In John, or I'm sorry, Luke chapter 22, just turn over a page from where you are there in Luke 23. Go to Luke 22. Luke 22, beginning with thir verse 39. And he came out and went as he was wont to the Mount of Olives, and his disciples also followed him. 
And when he was at the place, he said unto them, Pray that you enter not into temptation. And he was withdrawn from them about a stone's cast and kneeled down and prayed. And in verse 42, the Bible tells us, saying, Father, if thou be willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thy will be done. Here we find the obedience of the Lord Jesus Christ to his Father's will. John 3, 16 and 17 tell us, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believed in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but the world through him might be saved. You know, we, we read the Bible and we understand God's plan of redemption for man required that Jesus go to the cross. God's plan of redemption for man, God's will and God's plan was established before man ever sinned. We know that before the very foundations of the world, before man was ever created, God had already designed and put into place uh, that, that plan of salvation that he would work for us. He knew man would sin. Uh, you know, it's often said there are no uh-ohs with God. And uh, God's pencil don't have an eraser. God never made a mistake and nothing ever catches him off guard. So when Adam and Eve partook of that, that forbidden fruit, God had already made preparation and already knew that they would do that and that he would have to make a way for man to be redeemed. He knew man would need to be redeemed by the Savior. God's plan then was for Christ to leave heaven and to take on the body of a man and live sinlessly and die on Calvary's cross. You know, way back in the Old Testament, we read about Abraham and, and his son Isaac, how he took him up there on the, on the mountain to sacrifice him. And, uh, and uh, uh, his son said, here's the fire and here's the wood, but where's the sacrifice? And Abraham said to his son, God will provide himself a lamb. And Jesus Christ is that lamb that God has provided. And uh, uh, John the Baptist identified him as, as the lamb that taketh away the sin of the world. So we find God's plan for Christ was to leave heaven, take on the body of a man, live sinlessly, and die on Calvary's cross. God sent Jesus for that purpose. We read over in Galatians chapter 4, verses 4 and 5. But when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his son made of a woman, made under the law, to redeem them that were under the law. God sent Jesus to suffer the agony of the cross to redeem lost mankind. By the way, that word redeem means to pay the price for, and that's exactly what happened. Jesus came to pay the price for us. Jesus submitted himself, the Bible tells us, to God's will by going to the cross. We know when we, we often sing the song, but we know that he could have called a legion of angels to free him from the Roman soldiers when they took him and arrested him that night. That song says he could have called 10,000 angels to destroy the world and to set him free. He had that power. He had that authority, but he didn't use it. He knew the agony that awaited him and we saw over in Luke uh, 22, verse 42, where he's feeling the agony of what he's going to have to go through. And he even prays, and he says, Father, if thou be willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. In other places in the Bible, it tells us as Jesus prayed that night, 
before his crucifixion in that garden that he prayed so earnestly and so ardently that he sweat great drops of blood uh, because of the, the effort that he's making in his prayers. Jesus submitted himself to God's will and, and, and God's desire and went to the cross. He could have called a legion of angels. He knew the agony that awaited him. He knew the necessity of the cross. Christ's death on the cross was the will of God. And we need to understand, Jesus went willingly to the cross. Not only did he go obediently, but he went willingly. We see the cross as an undeniable evidence of Christ's love for us. He went obediently, he went willingly over in John chapter 10. Turn there for just a minute. He says this, John 10, 17 and 18. Therefore doth my Father love me, because I lay down my life, that I might take it again. No man taketh it from me, but I lay it down for myself. I have power to lay it down, and I have power to take it again. This commandment have I received of my Father. You know, we need to understand this. No one could take Jesus' life. Hmm. Nobody could kill Jesus apart from those that he, he allowed to crucify him. You see, Jesus would choose when and how he would die. He could die by no other means than the cross of Calvary. And as we read the gospel accounts, we learn that there are several occasions where men wanted to kill him and uh, were, were looking to kill him, but they were not allowed. He had to die on the cross of Calvary. The Roman governor of Judea could not of his own power kill Christ or have him executed. We, we read how when Jesus stood before Pilate, Pilate said, and I'll paraphrase, Pilate said, I have the power to put you to death. Don't you know who you're talking to? And Jesus responded and said, you can have no power but such as given you by my father. And so we understand that even the Roman governor could not kill Christ apart from God's will and God's plan being executed. Jesus willingly went to that cross. And I want you to understand, he willingly allowed men to, to abuse and crucify him. He could have called, uh, destroyed his torturers uh, if he had a mind to with a word. All he would have had to do was speak the word and he could have called lightning bolts down from heaven. He could have called fire from heaven. He could, have, he could have commanded a hole to open up beneath their very feet. He had that power and ability, but Jesus allowed uh, men to abuse him. I think about how they were torturing him, and the Bible says they blindfolded him, and they began to buffet him or smack him and hit him and chide him and say, now, tell us who hit you. Little did they know he knew every person that, that struck him. He knew their names, and, and uh, he could have called their names. And then we understand the key he could have called the angels of heaven to destroy his captors. He willingly allowed the crown of thorns to be placed on his head. Well, we think about that crown of thorns. We even have a, a mock uh, set up of one. And uh, these weren't just little briars. They were thorns. And uh, he allowed that to be placed on his head. He, he allowed the cat of nine tails to rip the very flesh from, from his back. He allowed uh, the blows of men to bruise his body. 
He allowed for men to spit on him. He allowed for them to pull his beard right out of his face. And he allowed them to nail him to a cross and crucify him. He did all of that willingly. It was Jesus' love for us that caused him to willingly go to that cross. He says of his own testimony, he came to seek and to save that which was lost. The cross was the only way he could do that, and he understood that. Mankind is lost in sin, eternally separated from God, and only Christ could, could, could bridge that, that uh, chasm between man and God. So we see in the cross the undeniable evidence of Christ's love. Christ went to the cross obediently. It was the Father's will, and he obeyed the Father's will. He went willingly. He was willing to do that for us. And then I want you to notice Christ went to the cross vicariously. Now, that's a big word. That's a theological word. But what it means is in one person in place of another. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 24, Peter said this, who his own self bear our sins in his own body on the tree, that we being dead to sin should live under righteousness by whose stripes ye were healed. Vicariously means in place of someone else, a substitute, if you will. And so when Jesus went to that cross, we understand he went in our place, your place and my place. We're all sinners. The Roman declares, Roman, the book of Romans declares in Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We deserve the punishment due for our sins because we are sinners. And that would be spiritual death. Romans 6.23 says the wages of sin is death. And that death there means to be eternally separated from God. Because of our sin, what we deserve is to be eternally separated from God. Jesus came to offer the only sacrifice to God that would atone for our sins. In Romans 5 and verse 8, it says, But God commendeth his love toward us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. 1 John chapter 1 and verse 15, This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And in 2 Corinthians 5, 21, we learn this, For he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that he might be made the, we might be made the righteousness of God in him. You know, that song we sing is so true. I should have been crucified. I should have suffered and died. I should have hung on that cross in disgrace. But Jesus, God's son, took my place. God's justice required a sinless sacrifice. In Hebrews 9, verse 22, it tells us, without the shedding of blood, there is no remission. Listen, in order to have forgiveness and remission of sins, innocent blood had to be shed. We, uh, we're in the week of the Passover of the Jews, and uh, we know that's a, that's a recalling for them of what happened on that night of the Passover way back in Egypt when God told the, the Jews that they were to kill a lamb and take the blood of that lamb and put it on the doorpost and lentil of their homes. And when, when God passed through that night, he said, when I pass through and see the blood, I'll pass over you. And, uh, and their lives were spared. Listen, that was innocent blood that had to be shed 
for God to pass over them. And there's only innocent blood to be shed for us that God might pass over us in our sinful condition. Jesus is the only sinless person to ever live. Now, there's just a few of us here this morning, but understand, if you can hear my voice, understand this, you're a sinner. You say, you shouldn't say that about me. Well, it's true of all of us. We're all sinners, and God says we are. And uh, the only sinless person to ever live was was the Lord Jesus Christ. And uh, they ended up crucifying him. We have nothing to offer God to atone for our sins. The only sacrifice that God will accept is sinless blood, and we don't have any of that. But thank God Jesus did. And Jesus willingly offered himself in our place. Go over to Romans chapter 5. Two verses in Romans chapter 5 that I want you to see. Romans 5 verses 7 and 8. The Bible says this, For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet peradventure for a good man some would even dare to die. But God commendeth his love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Listen, Christ died so we might live. He died on the cross to make a way for us to be saved from our sin and have eternal life. Romans 6.23 says the wages of sin is death. Don't stop there. It says, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Listen, salvation is not something we earn. It's not something we can be good enough to deserve. Salvation is a gift from God, and it only comes through Jesus Christ, our Lord. We owed a debt we could not pay. He paid a debt he did not owe. We see the cross as the undeniable evidence of Christ's love for us. Number four, because Christ because Christ went to the cross victoriously. He was the victor. You say, well, he died there. Yeah, but Jesus dying on the cross of Calvary was God's plan being carried out. You know, think about this. The powers of the day, Pilate and Herod and the Jewish leaders down there in the temple, the powers of the day thought Jesus' crucifixion was going to end his influence and end his power. Not only that, but think about this. Satan thought that Christ's dead, death would be his victory. But as we read the Bible and we understand and we're on this side of all of this, we know that Jesus' death was God's plan being carried out. Satan thought it was his day. The authorities thought it was their day. But in reality, It was Christ's day. Christ had to die so he could be resurrected. His death on the cross is only one part of the gospel message. The gospel is the death, the burial, and the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. All three are necessary. It was absolutely necessary that Jesus die on that cross, that he be buried, that he spend three days and three nights in that tomb, and on the third day come out of that tomb victoriously. It was a necessity. For him, if he's to be our Savior. Go over to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. I'm sorry, chapter 15, verse 3. 
Paul gives us the gospel there. He says in verse 3, For I have delivered unto you first of all that which also I received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. There's the gospel message right there. And it took all three. It took the death, it took the burial, it took the resurrection. Jesus' death and burial, death, burial, and resurrection establishes his victory over sin and his victory over the grave. Listen, Death has no more sting for the believer. For the believer now, because of what Jesus has done, death is nothing more than a doorway we step through uh, on our way uh, to our home in heaven. As believers, we need not fear death. As, as we know, when we leave this world, we're going to a far better place. I've used the illustration before and told the story about the little boy who was in the car with his daddy and suddenly the little boy started getting all antsy and upset. And, and his, his dad said, what's the matter? And he pointed to the windshield of the car and there was a bee. He said, well, that's no big deal. Yeah, well, the little boy was allergic to bee stings. And he knew if that bee stung him, it could quite possibly be death. And the little boy was all upset. And, and so the dad quickly pulled the car over to the side of the road and the dad reached over and took that bee in his hand and allowed that bee to sting him. You see, dad wasn't allergic and dad could handle the sting, but the little boy couldn't have. Listen, Jesus took the sting of death for us. He did what we needed him to do for us so that we might live. Christ went to the cross in our place and he went victoriously. Jesus had to die so he could be resurrected. Uh, there could be no resurrection without a crucifixion. And then Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection established his victory. O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15. Jesus overcame the grave. And because he lives, now we can live. And then we went, Jesus went to the cross, thankfully. Thankfully, and I thought about this. Thank God he went for us. Thank God he was willing to do that for us. A bunch of dirty, filthy, low-down sinners. That's all we are. And he loved us so much, he allowed man to do that to him so that he might be our Savior. Had he not come to the earth... Had he not lived a sinless life, had he not died on the cross, had he not been buried and resurrected on the third day, we'd have no way to be saved from hell. Go over to 1 Corinthians 15 again. Verses 17 and 18. Paul testifies this. And if Christ be not raised, your faith is in vain. You are yet in your sins. Then they which are are, are fallen asleep, they, then they also which are fallen asleep in Christ are perished. Thank God Jesus came and died on that cross and was buried and resurrected. If he hadn't done that, Paul says there, we would still be in our sin. Our faith would be in vain. We'd have no hope. But thank God he made a way. Each of us must then receive Christ to receive salvation. Understand this today. 
Jesus did everything that had to be done to atone for our sins. The Bible declares that when Jesus died on the cross, he died for the sins of the whole world. Now understand this. When Jesus was hanging on the cross, he came to a place where he said, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? We believe at that very instant, God gathered up all the sins of the past and all the sins of the present and all the sins of the future of mankind and put them all on Jesus Christ. And he suffered and died there to atone for all those sins placed upon him. Then, of course, he was buried and resurrected for us. Jesus did all that had to be done. There's nothing more for us to do. He died to make a way for us to be saved, and all who will put their faith in him and accept him and what he did on Calvary's cross can have eternal life. Heaven as their home forever and ever. Listen. We need to accept him and call upon him to be our Savior. Over in Romans chapter 10 and verse 13, the Bible says this, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. In Revelation 3.20, Jesus says this, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man will hear my voice and open the door, I will come in to him and sup with him and he with me. And here's what Jesus is telling us. He stands at the door of the heart of every person in the world, and he wants to save every person in the world. That's his desire. The Bible declares God is not willing that any should perish, but all should come to repentance. But he will not force himself on you. But he says this, if you'll call upon me, if you'll open the door to your heart and your life and invite me into your heart and into your life, I will come in. I will sup with you or fellowship with you. I will save you from hell's fire and I will take you to heaven when you die. But you have to come to me. There is only one way to heaven. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Peter testified, for there is none other name under heaven given among men, whereby we must be saved. When the Philippian jailer came to the apostle Paul and he said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? The simple response Paul gave him, a powerful truth, he said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. Listen, it's a very sad thing that there are a lot of people who are trying to earn their way to heaven. They're trying to be religious enough to deserve heaven. They're trying to do good works enough to, to get to heaven. They're trying to, to, to make sacraments and earn their way to heaven. Listen, you can't do it. It's an impossibility. The only way to heaven is through faith in Jesus Christ and what he's done for us. Let me encourage you. If there's never been a time in your life where you've called upon Jesus and asked him to come into your heart and into your life, why don't you do that right now? Why don't you just bow your head and pray a simple prayer, something like this. Dear Jesus, I know I'm a sinner. I know I deserve hell. But I believe with all my heart that you died on the cross of Calvary for me. That you died to pay for my sins and now I accept what you've done for me. I ask you to come into my heart. I ask you to save me and forgive me of all my sin. I'm trusting you and you alone 
for my eternal home in heaven. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Friend, if you just honestly, sincerely prayed that prayer, then according to the scriptures, you've come to Christ and you've been saved, you've been born again. And now I would encourage you as soon as possible, as soon as the churches open up again, get yourself into a good Bible preaching church and follow the Lord. Follow him in believer's baptism and go on and live for him like he would have you to. The cross is the undeniable evidence of Christ's love for each of us. He obediently, willingly, vicariously, and victoriously took our place on that cross of Calvary. He shed his blood and gave his life to make a way for each of us to be saved. Oh, have you come to him today? Have you received him? Believer, you say, well, I'm already saved. Well, thank God for that. But listen, what we've said today is we think about Christ on that cross and how he went there willingly and obediently and victoriously and vicariously. It ought to give us a greater appreciation of what he's done for us. And we ought to thank him. Father, we do thank you. We praise you for what Jesus has done for us on the cross of Calvary. And I pray that you would, you would use these, these humble words that have been spoken this morning to do a work in hearts and lives. I pray for that one who's listening who did not bow their knee and bow their heart to you. I pray that you'd work in their heart and they'd convict them and they'd come to that place of salvation. I pray for every believer that's heard the message this morning that we would be stirred and moved once again in the awesomeness of what Jesus has done for us as undeserving as we are. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.